Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, we are talking about hacking your age. And this is a topic that is endlessly fascinating to me because while I am very a celebrating age and all that we are and all that we're becoming at this time of our lives, I'm also interested in making sure that this chapter of my life is the healthiest, most energized, you know, like despite aging, because I feel like since I've hit this chapter of my life, there's so much that I want to do. And I want to make sure that I'm not sick or tired or anything. So with me today, I have Zora Benhamu, who is the founder of Hack My Age. She is a gerontologist and a sports nutritionist who has been studying aging and longevity for 20 years. So welcome, Zora. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. So I'd love to jump in with your story and how you came to be so fascinated by aging and longevity. And like, why do you do what you do? That's, I'll try to be as short as possible because it does start from childhood. You know, I'm I'm born in LA and I think it's in your LA DNA is that you always want to look good and feel good no matter, you know, Mm. how old you get and you have the whole Hollywood business. And so I was always fascinated by people who are I would call quote unquote old and they're 50. Right. And I was saying, I was like 15 at the time going, Oh my gosh, you know, these people look amazing. And why is it? And I was during the Jane Fonda era. So I'm really dating myself. I'm 51 now. So, (laughs) so you can, you know, save yourself the math. And I would go to her studio and I would see these people, you know, jumping all around and you'd see people who are old quote unquote, and they've got more energy than everyone else in the room who are in their Mm. 20s or 30s Mm. and think, what is it about them? So I was always curious from a young age, like asking them, what is it that you do? Because when I'm old (laughs) or I'm 50, I want to be like you. So and that was, you know, more just about looks and having energy. And then my mom got breast cancer and she died at 57. Mm. So then it was like, okay, it's not just about looking good in a bikini. I just don't want to die early. And that's when I kind of delved into a little bit more serious how, you know, how can I live a longer life and not have the same destiny as my mom? And that's around the time, I guess it was 2008, more or less, and the Human Genome Project came out and we all found about genetics and we said, oh, wow, it's actually only 10 or 20% is genetics. It felt like a mm. weight lifted off of me because I thought, yeah, my, I'm going to have the same, you know, you look at your parents and your history and you think, oh, yeah. well, that's going to be me. And I felt like, wow, I do have control because there's 80, 90% of diet and lifestyle that environment that I could probably change. And that's where I started just snowballing more and more and more. And I left the the US from LA originally. And so I left LA when I was just after university and I never went back. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) circumnavigating the globe and trying to find out the secrets of longevity of all these different people around the world. I used to live in, in Brazil and in Indonesia. I was living oh, cool. in the, in Hong Kong and I live in Spain, <laughs> Moscow, then all over. And I see 
aging populations in many different cultures and you see how people are thriving. I'm only looking at the thriving people because there's right. plenty of people who are not thriving. Right, <laughs> so, right. And so, you know, this is all very observational studies. And then I figured out, okay, there's, you know, I would became the health, go-to health person in my community or my friends or whoever. And they'd always ask me these questions. And then mm -hmm. it just got grow and grew and I became a health coach. And then I built a website and, you know, just decided, you know, I'm going to, when pandemic hit, COVID hit, and I was still, you know, doing all my, looking at people from all different populations of the world, I said, you know what, I'm going to get a master's in gerontology. That's going to be my thing because we can't move. I can't create right. content. You know, I was creating right. videos and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, this will keep my mind active. I will actually get a degree in something I do anyways. And, um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So I am very fascinated by aging. And I just, my objective in the very beginning was to look good and just feel good. And then mm -hmm. it turned into, I don't want to die early. And yeah. now I just find that, yeah, what I've learned throughout the world and how people are aging, it's, you get everything, everything, every people are just doing so many different things and we can learn from them. And I was, yeah. I was using these hacks, quote unquote, on my clients as well, you know, so, oh, I found this, let's try that. And now it's kind of evolved into a biohacking community since sort of the yeah. pandemic hit, right? And you go, wow, well, actually what we're doing is biohacking everything. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how the I've sort of evolved in, into this community. And now we are a community of biohacking women over 50 because most of the biohackers are actually young men. And there's a growing community of women, which is fantastic. And then there's a yeah. whole other niche of women who are over 50 who have very different needs than girls who have just 30, right? Yeah, and I love I love that so much. And I think that's how I came across you was because, you know, in our 50s, we we have a very unique physiology, right? That doesn't get studied anywhere. It's like we don't really exist, right? Like no. you got menopause and all the things that are happening related to that and all the changes happening in our bodies, right? And so I love, love that you guys are this community of women who are just like, you know, let's hack this over 50 crowd. Like, let's figure this out. And you talked about this notion of having control over how you age, which again, you know, I think for most of us, and I hear this so often, oh, it's just my age or it's just this. And we kind of come to accept that there's a certain, certain things will happen at certain ages. And that's just part of the process. And that's just the way it is. And I love the fact that it's that you're saying, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You can choose a different experience, right? Like pick your own experience here, Absolutely. Um, which that to me is like, Bingo. Okay. I'm choosing, <laughs> I'm choosing that path, not this path. Right. Because very similar to you, my mother died of breast cancer at age 56, which is the age I am now. So this whole concept of mortality is very present to me and making sure that I make the best of these years that my mother didn't have the option for. Yeah, right. And yeah. to do that, I need to feel good. I need to be, you know, strong and healthy with lots of energy and which is kind mm -hmm. of what's led me down <laughs> the path of this. So oh, yeah, we have parallel lives, right? Yeah. In that sense. So you're absolutely right in the sense that 
we think that we're going to become frail at a certain age, or we're going to lose our mind at a certain age, or we're going to start shuffle walking, you know, all these stereotypes that we have, and we see them in the media, we see them, we just see them in, in adults around us as well. And we have this, unfortunately, most people in the world are ageist, which is one of the worst yes. isms, you know, racism that we have. And because it's acceptable, you know, the canned laughter yeah. in, in comedy shows. And, and when someone says, Hey, you look good for your age, right? Oh, we yeah. go, wow. And I just look good, you know? Yeah. So, and we accept it. We're like, oh, okay, thanks. And so this is where it kind of perpetuates. And there is this, this model called the air model, the acquisition, internalization and reinforcement model that I can't remember who came up with this, but you know, this is one of the theories that they have is where many people, not everyone, but many people may make, uh, have start having ageist stereotypes from about six years old and they see how people are, how your parents maybe treat your grandparents or older people. And then we watch the Flintstones and we see older people on there and then it just goes over and over. And so that's where we start having these ideas that we should be feeling tired. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Oh, it's, you know, it's normal aging because we have this sort of embedded in us. And what happens to some people is actually they internalize this and they, in fact, when they don't really need to at all, they think, oh, right. I'm a little tired today. I must be getting older. And then you start going down this path of I'm always tired. I'm always tired. I'm always tired because you're talking to yourself. And this is this is from my my psychology of aging class. And this is how they, they taught it to us. And we think this is really bad. And then what happens is that you start to internalize this and you behave like this unnecessarily. I mean, some people who actually do yeah. you have some disease and that's, you know, but there are other people who really internalize this and then it perpetuates and it's repeated and reinforced in the society. And that's what we yeah. want to break. This is, I want to break this. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it doesn't have to be that way. And like you said, we have a choice. And fortunately, this is very subconscious in our brains. Like we think this is aging and there's things that are, that are normal and there's things that are common, right? It's not normal to be having mm. some certain of these, uh, you know, age related symptoms and signs of aging. And then there's things yeah. that are just common. So no, we do have all absolute control, like you said, and we can change a lot and it's both in our mind and our behavior. Yeah. I saw an ad for something the other day. I think I was flipping through a magazine or something. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, they were talking about, you know, fitness for over 50 and there were <laughs> the lineup of chairs with women that probably look like they were like maybe their late forties and early fifties, you know, sitting in their chairs, like waving their arms. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my goodness, why is the, like, where are the 40 and 50 year old women who are deadlifting, you know, 150, 200 pounds? Like, where are those? Like they're out there, but like this, but that's like you said, it's become kind of the common pictorial of what it means to age. This is what you're limited to. Right. And I was just like, no sister, no, that is, not on my watch. No, not at all. When it comes to fitness and women who are athletic, I love the um, feisty menopause community. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know yeah. about these yes. people, but that's the whole Stacey Sims and Celine Yeager group. Yes. And they are love just smashing it. And I love this group because when I started, you know, went to their summit and I started learning more about them, the message that I got was, hey, you're hitting menopause. Now life is going to speed up and you're going to smash it. You are going to get better and you're going to have more energy. This is going to be the best years of your life rather than, oh, you know, maybe you should slow down because you're getting old. Sit sit in the chair and flap your arms instead of (laughs) lifting heavy shit. Yeah. 
I was actually guilty of that too, because like at the age of 50 and the people who follow me know, you know, I found myself at this point where I kind of had to like start my life over. So I was divorced, unemployed, empty nester. And I had was seriously burnt out, like to the point that I literally couldn't get out of bed. Like most days, like I just was like flat. Right. And I remember, you know, at the beginning of it thinking like, this is like the beginning of the end. Like I can't be starting over now. Like who does that? So I had that thought for about oh, a couple of weeks before I was like, wait a minute, no way. Like I have so much more that I want to do on in this world and was like, okay, let me go find the inspiration. Let me go find the sources. I mean, I had to do some digging to get there. Right. But again, we have choice and that's like so beautiful to me. Yeah. We just need to get inspired, I think. And it yes. helps a lot. And I think people need to look at who are they surrounding themselves with because mm-hmm. they will either lift you up or bring you down. And you may think it's normal, right? So right. I've had friends, you know, when when I've yeah, I've, uh, I've torn my ECL, it's a long time ago. And then you go, oh, you blow it out and you're like limping. Like, I got to figure this out again. You just get back on your feet again. And just as being athletic, you know, you're always having something and you have friends who said, you know what, maybe you should slow down. And I'm like, do you even know me? Like, this is why I can't recover because I, I keep jumping up right back again. You know, I just have to learn how to recover, which I'm, I, you know, I know it's my, my weak point. I have to work on it, but no, I am not slowing down whatsoever. And, but I remember at a point, you know, when you hear it enough, you start to think maybe they're right. Maybe mm-hmm. I should. Yeah. And that is dangerous. And I don't want to be a part of that club. So think about who are you surrounding yourself with? And that's why I love the, you know, anyone who's doing amazing things and, and I want to be a part of it, whether they're 20 or whether they're 80, like you inspire me. So, you know, think about who you're following or who you're looking at and who you're hanging around because they will influence you. Yeah. And none of this is to say that we are denying aging, right? I mean, we age like that is a fact of life, right? Like, and it's not it's a privilege to age. It's a privilege, <laughs> exactly. And so, none of this stuff that we're talking about is age denial or trying to be something that we're not, right? This is all about just maximizing and optimizing what it is where we're at, basically. So, you talk a lot. I think I've seen you talk about anti-aging versus pro-aging, mm-hmm. and like that yeah. kind of distinction. Can you talk a little bit about that? So yeah, there's, I hate the word anti-aging that just seems like, you know, you're selling creams or something and that you don't want to age, you know, and no, I don't want to have wrinkles, right? I'm just, I'm vain. Sorry. Okay. So, but I just don't like that word because it just sounds like aging is really bad. And then, and pro-aging is a funny word too, because in gerontology, you know, we're, we're talking, if you talk about pro-aging, it's like you're accelerated aging, even though on social media, it kind of sounds like, no, you're pro, you're, you're for it. Right. So I don't like that word either because it's just confuses me because when you're talking about pathways and, you know, (laughs) that are increasing aging, you say it's pro-aging. So we want, you know, so I don't like that word either, but the idea is that you you are all for being the best version of yourself when with wrinkles, without wrinkles, gray hair, no gray hair, like who cares, right? You, right. you, 
be you and you embrace whatever it is that turns you on. And so I'm not one to say just because I don't want to have wrinkles, you know, and I'll work on trying to delay that and it'll come, you know, and I do have wrinkles. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. but you know, that's me and that makes me happy. And, but it's no way saying, you know, if you are full of wrinkles, that that's not good aging, not at all, not at all. So pro-aging in the sense that I think you're talking about is, is really more about embracing the best version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I mean, that's definitely the work that I do. And it's, it really is about just like, you know, again, it's against the, the cultural narrative that, you know, as soon as you hit your fifties, you're on the downhill slope to oblivion and, you know, to old age oblivion. And the fact that you can actually become the best version of you in this chapter of your life, like life has kind of set you up for that. Like the kids have left home, you know, maybe you're thinking about switching careers, you know, like you said, life speeds up kind of thing, right? You have more time to focus on you and it's like the perfect opportunity. So when we buy into these limiting beliefs around aging, right? Like I'm just going to coast to the finish line now, like, oh my goodness, no. Right. Like I often talk about this because this chapter of your life between 50 and 80 is like 30 years. Like it's actually the longest chapter of your life yet. Like if you think Mm -hmm. of all the others, you know, Mm -hmm. this is the longest chapter. And are we really just going to sit around for 30 years, like waiting for something (laughs) like like retirement, death? Like what is it? Right. Disease. Are we just going to sit around waiting for that to hit us? I'm like, no, we have, like you said, we can make different choices. Yeah. I mean, what does retirement mean anyways? I hate that word too. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't really exist anymore in that sense that we used to think, oh, you work in a company for 30 years or 40 and then you get the gold watch and then you retire and you go play golf. I mean, how much golf can you play, right? Or (laughs) whatever. It's just, you know, not that maybe you don't like your job and you can't wait and that's fine too. And you finish, but then there's a whole other chapter in life. Like you are probably going to live another 30 years. What are you going to do with that time? Cause there's only really so much that you can do to like play. Like we people say, Oh, when I retire, I want to travel or I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. But, but you do get tired of it after like, how much can you do? So you need a, some kind of a plan. That's why so many people in our age group in our cohort were doing many, having second careers, third careers. Yeah doing something totally different. And the amazing thing is empty nesters, right? It's you finally have some time to do things that you wanted to do for yourself, especially if you are a single mom or if you are sole caretaker, or if you've, you know, had a bunch of kids in the house and finally they're all gone, you know, and that was what you were doing. Like you've dedicated your whole life to your kids or part of it at least. And you've now can do, you have so much more time to do other things and why not take advantage of that time? Because as we get older, we, we feel life is like toilet paper. You know what that means? (laughs) No, (laughs) there's, you know, as you get towards the end of the roll, it goes real fast. (laughs) So true. I haven't heard that analogy, but it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. So you go, wow, I don't have time. You have your sense of time is totally different as you age. So when we think we have a bunch of time in our 20s and 30s and 40s, you, you know, you take your time, you, you do things you don't want to do. <laughs> and then when you get older, you're like, wait, I only have, I have a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. And in general, I mean, this is what we studied in gerontology is you would invest more time in the people around you and your mm-hmm. family, as mm-hmm. opposed to making new friends. 
you don't do things that you really didn't want to don't want to do and you you find time for nurturing those that community that you already have so we can do so much more because of of our time and we do sense that limited amount of time we do whatever the things that we we wanted to do before usually and there of course are constraints with money these days because yeah. when you think about you know when you ask somebody how long you want to live they may oh i want to live to 100 or whatever and or some people oh, i want to live you know in good condition so of course yeah we want to live a long life within a good condition but did you think about money because mm, I've had, so I even had a client who came to me when I was health coaching and she said, I got to get my act together. She was 61. And she's like, I didn't go to the doctor. And he said, I'm going to live till I'm 85 or 90 because based on her history. And she's like, I don't have enough money. Like I got to get my health even better now because I have to work until I'm probably 75 because I can't afford to live that long. And that's what's happening to a lot of people because we're now living in a yeah. society that's aging. We're going to have a lot more people living a lot longer and well, which is great. But do you have the finances to do that? Because social security is just not going to cover it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not really a thing anymore. So you talk about kind of slowing the aging process or turning on the good genes to avoid disease and things like that. And I've seen you talk about it in five pillars, like sleep, stress, nutrition, movement, learning, which I love that one, and beauty. Can you talk a little bit about those kind of those five pillars and why they're important? Yeah, those are my five plus one pillars because all five are very important for aging. And I just... You know, everything I've learned, I said, okay, we've got to put them in categories. The plus one is a beauty, okay? It's not absolutely necessary right. <laughs> to live a long, healthy life, but it's a nice little bonus. And we can, there is a small correlation when you say, oh, well, I, I look good and that makes me feel good. And when you take right. care of yourself on the outside, it does also reflect on the inside and vice versa. Right. So I added that one in. But the categories I created is because you know, they do intertwine. And I started out with the sleep one because mm. when I was health coaching, it was everybody wanted to hack their diet and exercise. And I'm like, okay. And so we did what I learned in my coaching. And I said, that's what we do. But there was a big group of women over 40 who were not changing. And I was like, why you're eating great. You're exercising. There must be something else. And so when you dig a little deeper, uh, you find out that they're not sleeping and they're not sleeping because they're stressed out. So that sleep and stress pillar go hand in hand really, really yeah. well. Oh, yeah. So I was amazed because I would tell these women to just forget your diet and exercise. Like, let's not focus on that right now. Let's just get to sleep. And when you get them to sleep, then the weight would come off because we'd be working on, you know, how to, how to yeah. manage your stress so that you do get good sleep. And, and it was amazing how, how much more effective it was because it was like running against the wind, trying to change the diet and exercise. But once you had the component of sleep, then it just, you had the wind behind your back and everything was, was falling into place. Yeah. And so, and I'm really passionate about sleep because we just underestimate the power of it so much. And I always mm -hmm. talk about it as the magic bullet because yeah. there was a magic bullet that could make you look good, feel good, have more energy, give you more brain function. You know, you remember things better and, and you lose that body fat and your skin is glowing. Like, wouldn't you buy that drug, whatever it was. And that drug for me is sleep yeah. because it does so much. And without it, 
we age faster. And because when we sleep, so many things change. And I know you know yeah. this yourself. And it's the hormones are changing, becoming regulated. There's there's functions in the body. The cells yeah. are, are are functioning different. They're communicating. There's a whole party that's going on while you're asleep. Right. Like, you know, and yeah. it can, it'll only happen if you're asleep, because if you sleep deprived, then these things cannot happen and cannot fall into place. And I, you know, so there's one example would be the glymphatic drainage system. Have you heard of the, gly- gly- the glymphatic? I have. Drainage I don't system? know that much about it, but I've heard it. Yep. So if a lot of people don't know it, we've a lot of people heard of the lymphatic drainage system, and that's mm-hmm. your lymph and your lymph nodes and that, and that actually goes all throughout the body, but it doesn't go to the brain. And the brain, you know, your lymph lymphatic drainage system is, is your detox system, right? Right. And the brain is much smarter than that. It has its own detox system that that is relatively new in science. We didn't really know about this before. And it's the one, it's called the glymphatic drainage system. Some people call it a, a, a brain shampoo or a brain detox. And it happens while you're asleep. Mm. It happens most effectively where it's some, yeah. some, some happen during the day, but it happens most effectively when you're asleep. And what's happening is when you're asleep, your brain, the brain actually kind of opens up those little crevices in between. And then you have the cerebral spinal fluid coming in and cleaning it out. It's like literally washing out toxins, beta amyloid plaque buildup. And it's crazy. Yeah. You know, when you, there's a wonderful Ted talk. Um, can't remember the name, but I'll have to oh. send it to you and put it in the show notes. It's incredible the way this, this speaker yeah, explains I think that's it. where I first heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I found this out, I used to be one of those people who'd be like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I just want to do too much. Right. <laughs> yeah. And when I found that, I was like, I better get to bed because there isn't in there. You know, we, we know that there's a Alzheimer's patients that do have this beta amyloid pack buildup. And although we, there's, there's a correlation, we don't really understand why. And if it's, you know, I just mm-hmm. think, okay, let's not take a risk. Let's just get to bed. And there's probably a lot of great things that are happening. And that's just one example of, of yeah. what happens when you're asleep. Yeah. I mean, I learned that one the hard way because when I was in the worst part of my burnout, I stopped sleeping altogether, which was when I was like, oh, something's not right here. It's all related to stress, but that's a whole other, (laughs) I know we're going to get there next, but how do you counsel? So, so many women, you know, in their late forties, early fifties, in perimenopause and menopause, and sleep is probably the number one concern that I hear women uh, talk about. How do you counsel your clients or what have you learned about menopause and sleep and how you can kind of put those things together? (laughs) Oh, yes. No, definitely. The menopause uh, transition. Well, that's when all our hormones just kind of go out the window. Everything flatlines. And that's what helps us sleep. Right. So part of it is like it's not our fault. Right. I mean, this is just the way we're designed. Like everybody will go through menopause if you're lucky. Right. I mean, I mean, that's what I mean. You're going to go through it now. You don't have to suffer through it. And there's a there's a transition. But it certainly doesn't help with the sleep, especially because, you know, progesterone is one of those things that people who are doing bioidentical hormone therapy, they they report that their sleep is amazing once they get back their progesterone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, very often it could be stress related. Right. So you're not whether or not your hormones are in balance or not, you have a lot of stress and that's preventing people from falling asleep. And with the hot flashes that women get through menopause, this also disrupts sleep. And I just did a very interesting paper for one of my classes last semester was about 
sleep, menopause, and dementia. So I had to look at all of these factors because I was like, there's, there's, so you'd find so many studies on the, the sleep deprivation, just, and it very often had to do with sleep apnea, disordered breathing, crazy stuff that we get with menopause that happens a lot with menopause, and then dementia. So, you know, sleep deprived people were somehow, you know, this is not a causation or anything. Right. There's some interesting correlations. And then you have um, menopausal women, the same thing. The menopausal women are having poor sleep. So makes me think, oh, my gosh, we're poor going through menopause, poor sleep. Is that going to give me dementia? You know, so that's why I did the paper, because I thought it was a super interesting links to this. So I. There is, it's a very bi-directional in terms of cognitive decline and sleep deprivation and menopause. So there's, there's no, no conclusions, but it certainly makes me think, and I'm not going to take any risk and I'm going to make sure that I get Mm -hmm. through, manage my stress and get to sleep and and do everything I, I can do for, for better brain health. And so definitely sleep is something that happens to women, sleep deprivation, sleep issues, sleep disturbances is very common with Mm -hmm. women going through menopause. And that's where I would recommend to my clients to see their doctor and say, how can we balance our hormones? Right. Let's start right there. And because sometimes having poor sleep will stress you out. It's not that you had a stressful day, but you're like, I can't sleep. And then it it, it just spirals out of control. And again, that's very bi-directional. So, you know, I I would highly recommend, and it doesn't mean, you know, there's people who don't want to do hormone replacement therapy and that's perfectly fine. There's other ways to do it. Yeah. Uh, There's natural ways, but just do it because yeah. In my Take it book, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. There you're just having unbalanced hormones is a risk factor. Okay. Whether mm-hmm. it's too much or too little, I don't care. Just balance them out. Right. Doesn't right. people are afraid to, you know, say, Oh, if I take, you know, hormones then it'll cause cancer or, you know, I'm like, but even if you don't have the hormones, you're putting yourself at risk for cancer. So yeah. just figure it out and, you know, do what you need to do, but make them, make them balanced. Yeah. And do naps count? Do you think like if you're a person who's not sleeping well, do naps count into the sleep? equation? Yeah. Yeah. Sleep. Naps are perfectly fine. You know, as a, in my pod, you know, as a podcaster, I interviewed at least a lot of sleep scientists or people who are into sleep and, and they all say that naps are perfectly fine as long as they're not too long or too close to bedtime to disrupt mm, yeah. the sleep. So yeah, yeah those are perfectly power naps are all, yeah. all acceptable. They all seem to be good. I'm not a napper myself, but I think it's perfectly fine for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, we talked a little bit about stress and the impact of stress on aging. Can you like just elaborate a little bit more on that one? Because I think that one is a like, you know, you see people who have just gone through something incredibly stressful and you can physically see it on their in their on their faces, in their bodies. So can you talk a little bit about how stress impacts the aging process? Yes. Stress, I have to say, if there's one thing that really accelerates aging, it's the stress. And I did an incredible course called the Mind-Body Connection. And I did my studies in at USC, which is a very research-based university. Mm-hmm. It's where Dr. Walter Longo, some people know of him, and, and he was my professor. And so we get really high-quality teaching. And when I saw this in the curriculum, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you almost kind of think it's a little woo-woo, right? But it was an incredible course. I have to say it was the best course I took in the whole program. 
and it explained on a physiological level what's happening in the brain, in the body, and what's happening psychologically and sociologically, and and how they impact, how the thoughts in your head or your perception Mm. of stress is affecting you on a physiological level. And so I had to do a paper, and I then the, the teacher said, you know, you choose any sort of stressor, something that would, you know, stress was all about stress and choose a disease, anyone you want and link them. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and by the end of the class, when you read the paper, I was like, it was clear that stress would lead to any disease. And I just had to pick one. So I chose adverse oh. childhood experiences. And so these are you know, childhood trauma mm-hmm. and how they could lead to diabetes. And so, but I could have chosen heart disease. I could have chosen dementia. I could have chosen like Alzheimer's, anything. And it was really scary because you think you could, ha- and I and I remember specifically asking, uh, it was about atherosclerosis buildup. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was about, you know, how stress and high blood pressure. And, and I said, you know, what if somebody had like the perfect diet and the perfect exercise and they were in good shape, but they were stressed, would you still have this atherosclerosis buildup? And he said, yes, of course. And I was like, wow. oh, great. So you can eat broccoli all day long and be running the treadmill, but if you're stressed, it will come and bite you in the ass and it'll accelerate your aging process. And you will, you know, likely, yeah, not be in a very good condition because of the stress and think everything's perfectly fine. So it is a super powerful, it just trumps everything. So I have yeah. to say it's, and I don't want to stress people out because they're like, oh my God, I'm already stressed out, but just stress is not going away. Just make stress your friend. And I'm sure there's another wonderful TED talk. I think if I can remember her name, McConaughey, she said, it's called stress, make stress your friend. It's a wonderful explanation of how the positive benefits of stress, wonderful, we need stress in our lives. It's just our our perception of stress and how we manage it is the problem. Mm -hmm. Don't mismanagement. Yeah. So that's got to be worked on for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and you alluded to this, like your thought process around, you know, like how you see things and the thoughts that you're having about those things, how those impact your physiology. Like I am endlessly fascinated by the mind body connection, right? Mm -hmm. And how much how much you can control your body with your mind. Like, you know, typically we think of them as, you know, being my head, my body, not really connected. I lived a long time that way. Like I lived up here. My body was this thing, this stick that carried around my head. Cause that's the part that I lived <laughs> in. Right. And it was only when I started to realize, and like, I had a horrendous menopause experience. And a lot of that was because I was ridiculously stressed, which ended up in, you know, burnout, which I am so thankful for because it was the brick in the head that I needed to be like, okay, you got to make some big changes to your life here. And managing stress was one of them. Right. Yeah. So how did you do it? Well, I was just going to say, like, for me, the first thing was I tried meditation. It took me a while to get into that, but even just, and it was like the tiniest little things like, okay, I'm going to sit for five minutes right now and just focus on my breath. Just like give my thoughts a rest because they're like, I don't know, there's like, there's a lot going on up there, right? Like (laughs) constantly processing. So meditation, like I had to really rethink the concept of rest. Like I was a, I am a go, 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 go person. Right. And like building in rest time, like making sure that I have downtime always. Right. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it was mental, like it was mindset. It was, you know, my thought process, which meditation actually helped me with. And, you know, things like spending time in nature, you know, like I love paddleboarding. So spending time on my board in the middle of the lake, like things like that nice. was just be like anything that I can do 
to quiet my mind, even if it's for five minutes at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah you know, that's how I recovered from burnout. Right. I right? love it. Yeah. yeah. I love hearing people's how they deal with stress I, because mm -hmm. everybody's so different. And I've had a lot of people I've spoken to who are just like, I can't do the meditation. I just can't. Or sometimes yeah. it stresses me out even more. And so I always look for other, other techniques yeah. and, and everybody's just got to find their way. Yeah. And what is it that brings you joy and calms your mind? And, and yeah. very often I have to say nature is one of those things and people may resist, but once you throw them out there they're just like oh yeah why don't i do this more often i'm like because we're freaking animals like we need to be outside <laughs> yeah. you know that but we do need to be outside and i highly encourage people i know as much as you might want to resist or it's cold or whatever just bundle up do what it takes and get out there because yeah. it, there are physiological changes that happen when you Huge. actually get into nature or even touch a leaf or put your feet on the ground and it's just yeah. incredible. And it does accumulate over time in a positive way. So I really encourage people to do that or find another way, but it's gotta be done. Yeah. I mean, nobody ever got to the top of a beautiful mountain view and said, I hate this. I wish I hadn't done it. Said <laughs> <laughs> right? nobody yes. ever, right? Said <laughs> nobody ever. Yeah, I know. There was, um, you mentioned, you mentioned focus on your breathing. And that I love to hear that because yeah. I decided to get certified as a breathwork teacher mm -hmm. and through the Oxygen Advantage. And I chose that one because it was very scientific based. And I really wanted to understand physiologically what is going on when we practice breath work, whatever yeah. that means, yeah. because so many people don't even know what that means. But I find it much easier than meditating because yeah. you're counting, you're focusing mm -hmm. on your breath. And, and I think, you know, people really should give it a go. And there's 101 ways to breathe, yeah. right? Yeah. Learn something some way, see how it affects you. And it does stimulate the vagus nerve. Your heart rate variability will go up, which is a good thing. Your heart rate will come down. You see blood pressure comes down. It's incredible. And literally, if you have an aura ring or some way to measure yeah. this biostrap, like you can see, I mean, I'm dumbfounded every time I'll do like a five or 10 minute breath work session. And I just see the HRV, yeah. my heart rate variability just on the rise, which we want it to go up. It's yeah. just incredible and immediate impact. And so anyone who's stressed or has anxiety, focus on the breath. That's another thing I'm just like getting so into. I love it. Yeah. I mean, breath work really, I mean, I am a meditator now, but breath work really was what allowed me to get into meditation because I was the person before it'd be like, you know, making mental grocery lists or doing like whatever it is, yeah. quite my mind long enough. And now I make sure that I sit for 20 minutes or sometimes longer every single solitary day. But what's interesting, you mentioned the aura ring and I'm a huge fan of that. But when I was in the early stages of recovery from my burnout, I got the aura ring and watching the trend and like my HR, my HRV was at like something like 13 when I started. <laughs> wow. That's too low. Way, low. way, way. But like I can, you know, wow. I look and at that's stressed out. That's that probably stressed out. out. Yeah. Like I wasn't <laughs> sleeping. I had like, you know, I was like, I'm a bit of a gym rat, right? I was like constantly injured at the height of my burnout. I couldn't even go for a 10 minute walk without being so exhausted that I would have to have a sleep. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Watching the trend line as I implemented these things, as I did breath work, as I did meditation, as I did like a ton of mindset, you know, and controlling my thoughts and all of that work, I literally watched the trend line going up and up and up and up. And it's 
Wow. Even now, because I can tend to overdo things, like my aura ring is like the thing that says, "Uh oh, some stuff's trending down here. Course yeah. correct, right? Yeah. And now I'm learning, well, have learned, am learning. It's a constant evolution. Like, okay, because I ignored my body for so long, right? It was like, okay, now I recognize the signs of my body was like, okay, I need to slow down as opposed to having to have the aura ring tell me to slow down. But I'm not a huge, huge fan. In fact, aura ring sponsorship. <laughs> yes, please. There's a lot of us who need this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So stress management, hugely important. And the other one you talk about is nutrition. And I know this is like a wide, wide, wide field. (laughs) You could probably have a whole podcast just on that alone. But like, what are like the top one or two things around nutrition, or maybe it's three things around nutrition that have the impact on aging, if you can summarize it. (laughs) The first thing is is to know your body, to know yourself yeah. and learn how to interpret the signals it's giving you. That's mm. what I was teaching as a health coach. I just, I didn't care, you know, diets just, you know, didn't call out to me. I just told people, you got to learn, get a dial in and learn how to listen to your body. Because as I traveled the world and I would see populations thriving into their older age, you'd see everything. People on high fat, low fat, carb, no carb. They're eating meat, no eating meat, dairy, no dairy. Like, okay, you just, I couldn't come up to a conclusion. Mm. And then, you know, so I don't even like to, you know, go into that. I think you got to know your body because it doesn't matter how great tomatoes are for you, but if you're allergic to them and your body's like breaking out in hives, it's not healthy for you. Like it doesn't matter what people say or the studies say or whatever you got to, you know, do this. I mean, I've had, I used to live in Hong Kong and I had clients who are, you know, Hong Kongers or girls who are 36 years old Asians. And then they'd come up with a study of 50 year old Finnish men who were eating, you know, whatever. And uh, they'd be like, oh, I should be eating this too. I'm like, but are you a 50 year old Finnish man? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe, but you can try, but honestly, don't look at this stuff, you know, because you just have to dial into your body. So that's the number one thing I would say mm. is dial in. So important. Try to understand what your body's saying to you. And, you know, that's the the thing. The other thing, when it comes to food, I like food timing, like when to eat too. And your Mm. body will tell you when Mm. to eat, but it can cross, you know, cross communication. And you'd be like, I'm hungry all the time. What's going on? So I just did a great podcast with Dr. Sachin Panda, who is all about time-restricted eating. And I don't Mm. necessarily think this is for everybody, Mm. but I do think that people do have windows of times within the day or within the month, within their life cycles to experiment with that, you know, when to yeah. eat, because, you know, and it, it depends, you know, if you're an athlete, you're not an athlete, you're sedentary, you're stressed, not stressed. I mean, all this kind of stuff, our bodies are just way too complex to just hone in on a single fad or a diet or say, okay, mm-hmm. let's do 18, six or whatever. Right. Just experiment, you know, different times of the day, different windows, you know, that's a good place to start if you're not really sure what to eat is to experiment with that because something that, you know, it's easier to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then you could 
if you find your window, you find when is a good time to eat more, when is a good time to eat less, and then you can change and tweak the foods that you eat, you know, later on, it'll just happen. You'll probably find it easier and a little bit more natural and more desired to eat a healthier diet because you may know instinctively already what is good for you and what is not good yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important point being connected to your body so that you can feel the response to your diet, you know, after you eat, because I feel like so many of us are just so disconnected and we're like, we're reaching outside of ourselves for the answer. And this week it's key you know, another week it's, you know, carnivore diet, another week it's, and we're looking out here when really your perfect diet could be a combination of all of those things put together at different times. Right. Yep. Which yep. is, yeah. Something I have seriously learned for myself. And then also <laughs> like your body changes. So what was good yes. six months ago might not be great now. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Like, one of the things was I, you know, figured out that I was like, okay, dairy is just not optimal for me. Like I don't feel great. And so I switched to oat milk, which turned mm-hmm. out to be way worse, <laughs> like <laughs> way worse yeah. for me. Right. And so yeah. then it was like, oh, okay. But you have yeah. to be like tuned in enough to know, right? Like, yeah. 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 And so yeah. it's like, you- okay, now I got to find the, <laughs> the right thing. Right. So it's not dairy yeah. and it's not, oh, check. Okay. It's a science experiment on yourself, basically. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. You are a scientist and your body is one big experiment. And I'd like what you said is that it can change. So right yeah. when you think you figured it out, get ready because <laughs> yes. it may change. Yeah. Or you may find out like, you know, oh, I, I can't do dairy. Well, maybe you can do goat or sheep right. or yes. you know, cheese, milk, yogurt, whatever it is. And not necessarily just not the dairy, but just maybe not cow or right or something like that, you know, or you can do cheese, but not butter or yeah, whatever it is, milk, not you know, yeah. something else. So, you know, instead of ruling out dairy, especially if you loved it and, you know, if you really love it, then experiment with different kinds and different yeah. forms and different, and then go, you, know, you know what? No dairy is good for me or some is, or I have yeah. limits. I can do, you know, just this amount and not cross the line. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't do it two days in a row. One day my yeah. body can manage it. Two days in a row is like, yeah, no, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And so I think the key message here and correct me if I'm wrong, is like kind of like throw out the rule book, go inwards, trust your body to tell you what you need to know about how you should eat. Because if your body's yeah. in stress or if you're inflamed or you're bloated, like that has an impact on aging, right? Yeah. yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Your gastrointestinal distress, any, any of that is, is a sign. Your body is talking to you. Your body is always talking to you. You just have to dial in. And if you don't understand it and you can't interpret it, that's when go get a health coach, go find somebody who, who can help you interpret this. There are people who can teach you to dial in. And I think that's should be the number one when it comes to food. Like, what do I eat? Well, I don't know what you should eat. Your body knows what it needs. Right. Right. And then movement. And I want to get to learning. So movement, is there anything like, I mean, move your body, whatever it is you love to do. Is that kind of the thing? Like, does it really matter? Or are there specific prescriptive things that you think should be incorporated into movement? Well, you know, we're going to keep the gerontologist hat on now. Okay. So I'm speaking to older adults and I would say that, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, the first thing is do something you like, right? It doesn't matter what it is, just move, do something you like because you're more likely to stick with it. 
Okay. Mm. That's number one. And do it when it's convenient for you. Because like Sachin Panda, he just talked about how I think in his studies, he found out that the best time was like 4 p.m. or something like that, because then you're less likely to get injured. You're more warmed up. Mm. And like you could take all that stuff too seriously and then just never do it because four o'clock rolls around and you're like, oh, I'm too tired. Like, so (laughs) that does me doesn't work. (laughs) Do what you like, do it at the time you like and try to do it regularly. Now, when it comes to older adults, the big fear is sarcopenia, is the age-related muscle loss, which one professor did tell me was, well, it's because you're not moving. It's not like because some, you know, genetic thing and aging. I was like, okay, nobody came and stole your muscles. Yeah, he's like, you just move and you're going to build the muscle, right? So that was really funny to me. And I said, well, you know, okay. So when it comes to a lot of people report this. Okay. So if you're losing your muscle mass, let's do some strength training. Mm. Let's build up yeah. the muscle because doing a marathon and running all the time is not going to do it. Right. You need to lift heavy things. And so it was interesting. I did the course, Dr. Stacy Sims's course on menopause for athletes. And she defines an athlete as anyone who does planned exercise. So as long as you're not sedentary, even mm-hmm. if you just, you know go to the gym a couple of times a week, you're an athlete. And so Uh, What she was saying is that she did include, you know, strength training in there because we do need to build the muscle, but she also included plyometrics, which is kind of explosive movements. And the, what was the one more, what was one other thing, but let me go first talk about the strength training and the plyometrics, because when you think Mm -hmm. of an older adult, you're like, well, wait a second, either you, people, by the time you get to this age, it wouldn't be unusual to have back pain or a knee injury or something blowing out and, you know, wear and tear. So how does somebody or somebody who's, I'm talking about 60, 70, 80, you know, who's never lifted anything heavy in their lives, or they've never gone to the gym, or they're just starting out, like, how will you expect them to lift heavy shit, right? That's not Mm going to be, they're not going to jump right into it. So of course, they have to start slow. But no one's really talking about in this circle of space about blood flow restriction bands. And these are BFR bands. And I did a great podcast. It's just kind of a biohacking hack for the guys who are young and want to build a bunch of muscle. So when I looked into this, I found this great podcaster, Chris Gavilio, and his podcast is only about BFR bands. Like, I don't know how much you can talk about BFR bands, but the whole podcast is that. What he taught me, though, was that if you're injured, and this is a doctor, Dr. Chris Gavilio, I mean, he's, he's done his you know PhD in, in exercise physiology, and he's so he goes to the science and he says that if you're injured or you cannot lift something heavy or you just came out of surgery or and these are not things that are unusual as you get as you get older you use these bands that would partially restrict the blood flow and what that does is it increases the growth hormone and you're able mm. to either maintain your muscle mass so if you had a surgery and you don't want to lose the muscle mass you keep these bands on and you, you use them appropriately how he, he teaches you how to use them or if you're injured or if you are an older adult who just can't lift and you need to lift heavy things to in order to increase the muscle you can't just lift a baby weight and expect right. to have increased muscle mass so 
I would love to have more people talking about this or more experimentation around that area because it's not just for, you know, gym guys, young men who want to, you know, build their muscles mm-hmm. real fast, but but anyone who's who's worried about sarcopenia. So the only thing there are contraindications, you know, with heart, you know, if you have heart issues and right. stuff like that. So you need to get approval, you know, from your doctor or you, you know, talk to Chris. I could always connect you to him because he knows exactly who can use these and who shouldn't. But I love this. I think this is something that I'm deaf. I'd use the BFR bands. I'm definitely keeping them in my life. So the other thing with the plyometrics was another thing that came into my mind was, you know, explosive movements, mm-hmm. burpees or jumping on a box or something. Right. And so with the injuries, so the way that Stacey Sims explains is that, well, there's plenty of plyometrics that you can do without adding strain to those areas. You just have to think outside the box or, you know, you could do lift a medicine ball and throw it up in the air if you can't jump, for example, right. or, you know, there's, this you just have to be creative and, or have a good uh, physio or a good uh, trainer or the YouTube videos and get more mm-hmm. ideas, but you certainly can. And so those were two. And the third one that's for older adults that, or as you get older, you want to keep in your life is HIIT training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is where you get your heart rate up. You know, you have that for 30 to 45 seconds, sometimes it's 20 seconds. And then you have a 15, 20 second recovery and you do that. And you can't do that a long time. Like nope. you, <laughs> you cannot. Have, yeah. Negative returns, diminishing returns after about 45 minutes. But if you do a true, true hit, you can't do more than 20 minutes. It's too hard. Oh, yeah. And like that's 15 that's minutes and I'm done. <laughs> like yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Which is great because yeah. it's finished. You don't have to yeah. spend an hour in the gym. Yeah. So do your hit, but do it right. Right. And so the impact of having more muscle and having more explosive or I don't know what you call those. So more explosive muscle fiber, obviously prevent falls and things like that. But other reasons why you would want to have more muscle on your body. Yes. So yeah, the most important is, is fall, fall prevention. I didn't realize in gerontology, like how big of a deal that is like, wow, people are falling all the time. It's like the number one cause of disability. And then once you're in disability, you fall into depression. Once you have depression, then you get out, you you die early spiral downward. Yeah total down on spiral. And so it is a big deal in that space. And so you, you want to be strong. You don't want to be frail. And, and the other thing that I really want to stress that wasn't spoken for so much about in my training, but I believe in is mobility, flexibility, and Mm -hmm. agility. And these are things, you know, when you have that stereotypical older person in your head is that shuffle walk, or they're very, very careful to step over something, or they walk a little bit slower. And and we know that one of the markers of how long you live is is your gait speed, you know, how fast you walk. And I, I can't remember the exact speed, but it I don't know. I don't want to say the number because I don't remember it, but it is if you have an older adult and you see that person walking pretty fast, you know, they're probably going to live a longer life. And so I don't, you know, when you see these, this sort of stereotypical aging person, they don't have the mobility or the agility Mm -hmm. and that flexibility. So that's something I would certainly incorporate it because you are able to make the bed without injuring your back, you know, and being, you can do your socks up off the floor without throwing your back out. Put your socks on period. (laughs) You know what my husband, he showed me the other day. He's like, come, come, come look, look. And I said, wow, he was watching something on TV and there was like a stick for someone to put a sock on. 
And I was like, or some gadget. And I was like, are you kidding me? I I mean, maybe if you're temporarily injured, okay. But if this is what aging is, like, I don't want to be part of that. And that's, you know, it's not, I sound very ageist and anti-aging, but it's not that I don't care. It's, it's about, I just want my independence. I want to be able to put my socks on by myself without a tool. And so that's where agility and flexibility and, and that mobility comes in. And you don't have to be sweating like crazy or anything at the gym. It's just a little bit every single yeah. day. Yeah. And I, I would highly encourage that to incorporate that just to live, you know, these activities of daily living is what we call it in, mm. in gerontology, that you're able to do all of those things by yourself as you age, yeah. because we don't think about that when we're in our fifties or even sixties, Yeah, but it comes up and creeps up on you in your seventies and your eighties. And you, then you, you go, well, how do I, oh, I'm here now. Like, how am I going to change this? So let's just not lose it in the first place. Yeah. And I think what's important too is, you know, what you do now in your fifties and sixties is actually setting the stage for what your seventies and eighties are going to look like. So even Mm -hmm. if to this point, if you haven't been an exerciser or, you know, it hasn't been like, you can start the habit in small ways now that it's going to pay off in the long run. Like it's never too late to start. Yeah. It's never too late. Never. Yeah. I mean, I interviewed train with Joan. I don't know if you've seen her on Instagram, right? Yeah. She's coming on also on the podcast. Oh, amazing. Yeah. She's so fascinating, but like watching her story, like, you know, and starting to take her health into consideration in her seventies and, you know, starting to lift weight. She looks incredible, but you can see this is a woman who has so much more life in her. Like you can see it in her face. Yeah, right. Like from yeah. where she was unhealthy and, you know, diabetic and, you know, all taking all of these medications to where she is now. Even if you just saw a picture of her head, you would yes. be like, this is a different woman on the inside and on the outside. So it's never started, too late. Yeah. yeah she started she her started 70. This, I love that. I love that story. And I remember I saw her, I was uh, a video of her daughter and this is how she got into it. Right. Yeah. She, the daughter looked at her and said, mom, you know, you have a choice. Just like you said at the beginning of of the interview, you have a choice and where do you want to go? And then, and the daughter was said, I'll help you. And that's just a beautiful story. And absolutely you you have a choice. Even if you're handicapped, you have a choice to be happy. You're not be happy, right? I mean, you you can do things. So don't ever think that you don't, you do. Yeah, so true. And the last thing I want to talk about, because we've talked about a lot of stuff today, there's a lot of great information here, is the impact of learning on aging. Like I will, I have been and will continue to be a lifelong learner. Like I love to go deep on things. Talk to us about like that learning new things and how that impacts our longevity. Yeah. Lifelong learning. This is another mantra that repeats in gerontology is you don't ever want to stop learning because when you do, you just die. (laughs) Really keep going. And, you know, that's really good, not only for your brain health, but your purpose in life. And this is the category. I had such a hard time calling this category. I just called it learn because it wasn't only about your brain health, but it's about your community. It's about your purpose in life. It's about your so many other things and it just kind of encompassed in in learning and learning is something you know when you think about it, it's great obviously for the brain you're building a new you know brain neurons or new connections there's your brain is very plastic it can grow it can do so many things mm. but you got to help it along it's like a muscle right you gotta lift right it. And so what's interesting is also that, that I found out there's these super agers, super agers are people who are in their eighties or so on up, and they are 
very sharp, you know, and we all know someone who's like that. And you're just like, God, they're, they're just so sharp, you know, for, for an 80 year old, you know, he's so ageist of me to say, but you go there, what is it? And it's those people are very often lifting the heavy shit. And that's not, they're not doing crosswords and Sudoku. They're doing brain exercises, things that make your brain hurt. Like, remember when you were doing I don't know, algebra or something in school, or you're learning a new language, you're like looking for that word and you're like, oh, God, I know that word. And it's, that's the heavy lifting where your brain almost hurts. And, and they're really doing things like that to stay sharp and learning, you know, about new things like you are learning and reading books or learning about a new technique or me doing my master's, all of this stuff we have to learn, we have to memorize, we have to practice, we have to do mm-hmm. these things. And this really is wonderful for brain uh, health and lowering your risk for dementia. But but it's also uh, gives you a reason to live too. Mm. Like, why why should I do a master's? Why should I, you know, start a new career or you know, start a new path? Because you know, when you do get to a certain age and you're like, well, you know, why am I here? And well, I don't care if I die or don't die. You know, just there's nothing interesting going on yeah. in life. That's not living, right? Yeah, that's so true. And I think the thing too is for many of us learning something new, you know, when you, like you talked about doing the heavy lifting with your brain and like your brain hurts, that's uncomfortable, right? It's like, and you have to push through the discomfort. And so many of us will get to uncomfortable and be like, yeah, that's not for me. And then go back to comfortable. And I've seen this theme in kind of what we've been talking about today is like, Longevity is about getting uncomfortable and pushing through, whether that's your body, whether that's, you know, movement, whether it's learning new things, like it's coming up against our comfort zone and then mm-hmm. go, seeing how far you can go past that. And that makes mm-hmm. so much sense to me intuitively, right? Because it's like, if you bump up against an obstacle and then you turn around, you're like, oh, okay. So I'm just happy where I am and going to, you know, wait to see what happens next kind of thing versus, oh, I can do this. And it's like belief in yourself. It's in trusting yourself to be able to go through the discomfort to learn the thing. Yeah. That's Just, what this, yeah. yeah. One of the secrets of aging is resilience. When yeah. you think yes. about someone who's reached their eighties or nineties, hundreds, they don't get through life without life throwing them some curveballs, right? They've yes. seen divorce, they've seen death, they've seen it all. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they have resilience and they're still here. So you, how do you get that? And we can practice these things by being a little uncomfortable. And it's not being uncomfortable for a long period of no. time. You know, it's, it's these short bursts of discomfort, which creates this hormesis effect, right? Where you, you, you're a little uncomfortable and then the body kind of makes up for it and, mm-hmm. and becomes more resilient, becomes stronger. And that's, you know, you, you seek discomfort, right? Get a yeah. little comfortable being yeah. uncomfortable. And it, it's just a little bit and it goes a long way. It really does. I mean, I have an aunt who just this week turned 100. Wow. And- her story of like, she's just like literally kept reinventing herself over and over and over again. It's like, you know, she had this shop that sold beauty supplies and it burnt down. And so she pivoted and started making hats. And then, you know, she opened up enough to, or she made enough selling hats to open her store again. And this time she branched out on something else. And it was literally this over and over and over again. I mean, this woman is a hundred and she's still posting on Facebook. <laughs> like what, what's her handle? I'm going to go follow her. Um, it's her name is Daisy Nant, Nate Daisy Nant. And I think that's what it is. That's just her name. But yeah, so she's still, you know, posting family photos and reaching out to people on Facebook. She learned Facebook, like, I think maybe three or four years ago. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought she was building a social media. Oh, account. no, no, like, no. Wow. Sorry. Sorry. No, no. Uh, she's I was just, like, oh, wow. I got to go follow her. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's just like learning new technology is like, oh, okay. Incredible. No problem. Right. I'll figure it out. And, you know, sometimes her posts are like, you're like, oh, yeah, you didn't quite do this or, but whatever. It doesn't really even matter. But yeah. like, you know, here she is 100. And I'm, I seriously, I think she's going to live to be 110. Yeah. Like, there's so much life in her. Right. I love that. Wonder, one so of, inspirational. I know. Right. And one of the secrets to living to a hundred, she said, is laughing. She said, I laugh a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's true. I can see. Yeah. You yeah. joy and happiness. You know, there was, I just listened to a podcast with Natalie Nidham and she says, she's going to create a new word called joy span, joy, joy span, span. <laughs> instead of health span, lifespan, joy yes. span, having joy in your life, that so happiness. Important finding that and it's such a gift and some people are born with it and they're just naturally happy they got that happy gene mm. but if you don't have it you, you can build on it you can be happier for sure and laughing every single day yeah I, I think that's one of the best antidotes and and for those people who are like i can't do you know meditation for my stress well then go and watch cat videos or something yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Make watch a comedy laugh. yeah yeah watch yeah. a comedy yeah. it's so funny that's a great one my birthday was last week and i just on, coincidentally on the day of my birthday like i turned 56 on the coincidentally on the day of my birthday something popped up and it was like what's your biological age quiz so i was like mm. oh this is interesting let me do this right so i went through the quiz and it was all like kind of lifestyle questions and things like that and all of the answers that so it said my biological age was 51, but I'm like, ah, I think it's, I think it's gotta be in the forties, but anyway, that's a whole yeah. other story. But anyway, <laughs> all of the, my answers to these questions was, were taking years off my age. Yeah. And there was only one question that didn't impact that I didn't have a negative response to like a taking years off. Mm -hmm. And it was like, how often do you play? And I had put like, no, not too often or whatever, often, not often, oh, yeah. like whatever that was. And I was like, wow. I was like, yeah, I need to make more time to play. Like, yeah, I do, yeah. but not as part of a regular, consistent building it into my life. Yes. Right. Yes. And I was like, and that was the same thing when I heard her talking about laughter and, you know, you were talking about joy, it's the same thing. Like, what are those things that evoke, you know, pleasure? Yeah. Laugh that, you know, so I'm like, yeah, now I'm on a mission to play. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. We yes. lose this word after the age of like 10 and we think it's immature or something, but out there, yeah. I totally disagree. We need to have playfulness. And it is interesting in gerontology, we do talk about some older adults who actually behave like a child, you know, in a, in a good mm. way, you know, they get mm -hmm. very playful, they get very silly and they get, and it's because they've lived through so many stages in their lives that they've, they, they're sort of regressing, you know, they have right. older adults love to reminisce about the past or feel, you know, relive their, the life mm -hmm. that they had. And so one of the mechanisms for certain people were being like a five-year-old, like just being playful. I think that's wonderful. And it does yeah. it help. Uh, if it doesn't help you live longer, it certainly makes the ride a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. So next year, I'm going to go back and do the test again, once I've incorporated play <laughs> in my life and see if I'm aiming for the forties. <laughs> 
<laughs> so how are you going to play? What's, what's your plan? So one of the things is like with my niece, like she's eight and you know what, we, we will play a little bit, but I'm like, I could play a lot more with her. Like I could spend much more time doing that. Like even like fooling around on my paddleboard out in the middle of the lake, can't do it now it's winter, but like just yeah. making sure that I have like regular things. The other thing that I did not long ago was a trampoline park right? Like just going and jumping on the trampoline. It was so fun. Like it was so much fun. Like I laughed a lot and I was like, okay, this is what I need to make a regular practice, a regular habit so that I can get to the (laughs) forties. Oh, I love that. Trampolines are great. I know so much fun, right? So, so fun. Wonderful. I like it. Thank you so much for this. This was such an interesting conversation. And I have just kind of one final question. Of all the populations that you have looked at, and I know you've kind of like done this anecdotally, was there one population that you're like, hmm, these people have really got it right? Like, is there consistently, you know, the Japanese culture or the Asian cultures in general? Like, is there a culture where you're like, hmm, they're really doing some things here? Or is it not? You know, I've seen all different cultures and they're doing things right and they're doing things wrong. I mean, what Mm -hmm. I would consider, you know, low, these are pro-aging or anti-aging or whatever it is. I, I see it in many different cultures, but you know, it depends on what is the most important for you. And Mm. I I do have to say in Asian cultures, there is a bit more of a family unit in Mm. terms of, you know, supporting each other. Like family seems to be super, super important, much more than to me, it seems in the Western culture where we're more used to, to having. And I think, I think part of it is, and I, is, I mean, not necessarily, you know, Japan or anything. I do feel that as a country develops and becomes richer and you have more money, then it's natural for the kids to move out of the house or start to live somewhere else where you get a job in another country. And so, you know, it's that wealth that, that almost separates, you know, it's a great Mm -hmm. thing to be more developed and have more money. And and I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a poor country, then you got all right. And, you know, it's all together, not necessarily, but you do see that sort of family unit, like depending on each other and needing each other a little bit more. And, and, and they do have, you know, fights and bad times too, and all that, but it just seems to be a little bit more cohesion that, that I envy, you know, I think it's quite, it's quite, um, it's, I'd say for an older adult who, when you're getting into your 80s and you need that community, we know that Mm. having a community, having a support system as you get older is that brings you safety. You feel safe. You feel good. You know, someone's got your back if you fell down or you need the hospital or you really do depend on that community. And that is, you need that for longevity. And as a nomad, I'm up shit Creek, but I know that, <laughs> that I got to work on it. I got to definitely work on it. But I think that's, that's what they have, especially, you know, I think that's right. Really- important for aging is having that community. And I think if you've studied the blue zones, you, yeah, I was just going to mention that, that before. Yeah. Too. Yeah. What was it? The commonalities were purpose, movement and community, right? I think yeah. were the kind of takeaways from the blue zones. Yeah. And the, yeah, for those of you, yeah, those, yeah. yeah. And for those of you listening, the blue zones are these pockets in the world where people routinely live to be into their hundreds. And so they studied all of these places to see kind of what was the thing, what's the theme. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah purpose, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I would say I, I see that 
you know, it does happen in the West. It does happen mm-hmm. in many cultures. That's why it's so hard to like pinpoint a culture where mm-hmm. they got it right okay, fair because enough. it exists. And but it just seems to be a little bit more in those areas. That's all. But it's interesting that when you think about it specifically in the context of North American culture, we do the complete opposite. Like we work, we retire, so we have no purpose, right? In the <laughs> retirement, we stop moving. We basically sit around. So there goes movement. And then you know we tend to segregate older people like into retirement homes or nursing homes and things like that. And I'm constantly aware of that now that I've studied, like I've read about the blue zones and I'm like, wow, we're doing it completely backwards. Like all of those markers, we're going complete opposite direction of. Because we have more money. I think, yeah, that was an important thing that you alluded to. The richer we are, the more likely we are to do those things. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But surprisingly enough, I didn't, I only discovered this when I studied gerontology is that I think it's only about three to 5% of the population actually in nursing homes. Oh, wow. And I thought it was a lot bigger. Yeah. And it's actually, and the studies are that are coming out now is people want to age in place. Social policy will be trying to figure out, at least in, in the U.S., how to serve older adults in their homes, how to get them yeah. care in their homes. their homes. Yeah. So that seems to be the trend that's happening right now. And as opposed to having a community or a home or long-term care. So, mm. so it sounds good. I mean, well, just the problem is that's also expensive. Right. Yeah. How do you yeah. do that? Yeah. And caregiving is a whole other topic in gerontology that I could go on a rant about. <laughs> yeah. but, um, <laughs> it's a huge topic that I was unaware of before. But if you're a caregiver, you certainly do need to take care of yourself, too. Well, thank you for this conversation. So for those of you listening, if you, like me, have big plans for your next chapter and you want to make sure that you are the healthiest, most energized version of yourself, go follow Zara at Hack My Age. You're on, I think you're on all the the social channels and a website. Um, She offers courses and all kinds of really, really amazing information. So thank you. Is there anywhere else, anything that I missed that you want to? Yeah, Yeah, everything's hack my age. So it's easy to find. Yeah, the podcast, the website, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, I'm all there. And I've got, I'm working now on an energy reboot program for women over 50, how to Mm. get our energy back. So I'm putting on my gerontological hat on and you're going to have a lot of great, great information as well as the breath work. I want to incorporate that as well. So it's coming soon and you can also sign up right now without any charge and I'll give you 10% off when I do actually launch it. So hackmyage.com and you'll see it right there on the first page. Perfect. So everybody listening, go check out Zara's Hack My Age page for all the latest on living your best life well into your 80s. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.